This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in the 2020s. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. On this episode of The Great Equalizer, Sam chooses a word for the year. Charlene turns a new leaf. And we chat about back-to-school anxiety with our in-studio guest, Dr. Janie Rose. Hello. Hello. Oh my gosh, and this is a special kind of episode because we are (laughs) kicking things off with our in-studio guest right in front of us. Hello, Dr. Jenny Rose. Hi, Sam. Hi, Charlene. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) So let's get that introduction out of the way, shall we? Let's do that first. (laughs) Joining us today, folks, is Dr. Jenny Rose. Welcome. Jenny is a clinical psychologist, a parent-child specialist, and a mom of three. So Jenny's also on a mission to make information accessible to parents by providing resources, tools, and strategies for everyday living. Which is what I love most about you, Jen, because (laughs) you give real life examples from your own wins and challenges as a parent. Yeah. So first and foremost. Yes, yes. We are putting you in the parenting hot seat today. (laughs) You can take off your clinical psychologist hat for a second and you can join us um, to... Uh, introduce our segment yes which is we we always start off with how we're doing now what's happening in our life and we typically complete the sentence sam is so and so so and so Mm. charlene is so and so so complete the sentence in in the context of you're coming off the back of 2022 jenny is how are you really (laughs) so i want to go with jenny is sprinting (laughs) And I think that's significant for two reasons. The one is I'm training for a marathon, which is slightly crazy, which oh means I am literally sprinting all week long. But more than that, I'm sprinting. I've sprinted through the last year, and I think so many people can relate to that. Mm. I feel like I am, am on a treadmill and have just struggled to get going. off. exactly. Yes. And it's just moving at a pace that I can recognize is not good mm. and not, not sustainable. sustainable. Exactly. Mm. Um, and so my sort of perspective for the year is to really slow things down. Um, and so sprinting, I, I s- often say to people jokingly, I want to slow many things down, not my running pace. That's the one thing I'll try to keep yes. up, but everything else must come down. So where are, are you aiming for a marathon? Which, oh, I mean, which I feel one? like I'm now putting it out here and there's Ooh. no turning. No, no, <laughs> okay, no. No, no, let's, no, let's, <laughs> no, let's do it. <laughs> Good. I like let's pressure. Do it. I okay, okay. Well. Which one is it? That you're... Peninsula Marathon in Cape Town in February. Oh so I've got about eight weeks to go. Okay. Hmm. So what, how many kilometers are you putting in a week at this point? Um, I ran 22 Ks on Sunday, a little Sunday run, um, and probably about 40 a week at the moment. Oh, so, my hat. Yeah. I looked at a marathon. Yes, let's do that first. <laughs> the, all the encouragement <laughs> yes. I need. I didn't look at a marathon. I lie. I found this little run that I could register for, and I messaged my running buddy because I'm very new to running. Um, and I was like, shall we do this? And she's like, yes, I'll sign up for the 10K. And I'm like... I was going to go with five. <laughs> I'll do the 5K uh, with you. Oh, thanks. Because I felt like, 
Should I be doing the 10K? Am I capable of the 10K? I don't know. I think definitely she could. 100%. <laughs> if you can, she did four the other day. Amazing. So Just if you can a do four, little you stretch. can do 10. 100%. Really? Well, I guess I won't know if I don't try, exactly. shall I? Exactly. <laughs> so you're sprinting at the moment. I'm sprinting. And hopefully looking to slow things yeah. down. Looking for a stroll. Which <laughs> Maybe is, not quite a stroll. I don't know if it suits my personality to stroll. But I think um, a sprint is not sustainable. Yeah, not in the long run. I'm looking to change my personality. (laughs) I've always like gone hard, gone (laughs) looking to change my. How's that working out for you? Easy thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, talking about things you want to change or implement, um, you have a word for 2023. This is this does not sound like Sam. What's the deal with this new word? I don't do words, Jenny. (laughs) I don't do words for the year. I don't vision board. Okay. I don't. Um, you know, like have a mantra. I don't meditate. Mm-hmm. I because you don't have time, or you don't you don't patient, subscribe man. to the idea. I know I should. You know what? If I go to, I love yoga, but only ever like um, hot yoga, uh, like Bikram yoga, yes. which is ninety minutes, and it's like my therapist says to me, mm. "Of course you like that because it's like punishment." Yoga. I was just gonna oh. say it's like. Torture. Yeah, hardcore. And that's me. I, mm. I run hard. You should hard. do a marathon. I should do a marathon. <laughs> I should. I run hard and I, I need to counter the running, which I'm sure you mm. know, you know, you're, it's hard on your body. So counter it with, you know, sort of more stretching. And so that's why yoga complements mm. it. But then I go for the hardest core yoga where you're not allowed to take a break. You, you, yeah, know, you can barely no. drink water. Maybe I'm just lazy, but I'm like, I build into <laughs> things. Yeah. I don't know, my therapist is like, you. people need, but then the second, like, the yoga, the yoga instructor says, okay, you, you're here for a reason. Mm. Think about it, and you're in, what is it, Shavasana, or like, you're in corpse pose, and you need to reflect, and you're here, and <laughs> something brought you here today. Sam just starts bawling. So oh, I think wow. That's, that's me. That's <laughs> when I, like, tune into my emotions, and so mm. I think think I avoid it at all costs. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to feel those things. So that's typically me. Go hard, go fast, go I'm um, also bury the emotions. Bury the, the emotions just like mm. because the, who's Soldier got time on for Sam. that? How do yes. I I don't have time to break down now. No. Maybe later. There's never a time to break down. But now I'm like my considering where I was at December 2022, I have a word for the year and it's less. Mm. Less everything, which I think also goes. You know, look. Wow! <laughs> wow! I have to. Shall, I no, you do anymore. have to. I one hundred percent agree. I, I'm. I am waiting. I, I see that little meme with the popcorn <laughs> in anticipation <laughs> to see how Sam lessens things. I think I did relatively well last year. I started by starting to study. You had a baby and you went back to school. That's less, Sam. Yeah, that's less things right up. One, but um, my husband was Ray was um, traveling a lot in the beginning of the year, and I, because I was studying, I said no to a lot of corporate work, Mm. but then picked up a lot of corporate work at the end of the year. So the wheels fell off. So I did say no. I said no to a lot of clients mm. in the first half of the year and then went, I'm winning at life. Mm. This is great. And started putting more things on my plate and yeah. not As saying Sam no. does. <laughs> and the wheel, mm. wheels have come off. Yeah. So 
less. It's less, mm-hmm. and which also means I've got to say no to more. But that's so that's where I'm at for January. Okay. Well, it's exactly what I was going to say. Is actually what you're speaking to. I think is boundaries. Is being able mm. to say yeah. I need to put in boundaries in place that make me able to say no to things and not take on as much. Mm. It's hard, yeah. and it's hard when you're working for yourself. Let's come on, like let's yeah, be no. especially <laughs> also when like, when it's the finances tied to the work. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. like okay. If I take this job, then I can afford that or do that or put it towards this holiday or that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's tricky. It's hard to say no. So what about you? <laughs> You're turning over a new leaf. There are new things afoot this year, but you seem pretty positive. Yeah, no. Look, at the end of the year, we had a very bad experience with schooling. We're in public schooling, just to fill you in, Jenny, as well. Um, Our listeners who listened to our end-of-year episode would know this already. But with the GDE's placements, we're not in private school. Mm. So you're kind of at the mercy of the GDE. And so not to rehash the whole story, but we had a a traumatic experience for us as a family. It was just traumatic. We had to completely pivot. And we were placed at a school that was never on our radar. And I didn't even know existed. And so I didn't have to just manage my son's emotions with helping him understand that he's not going to go from grade R with his mates Mm -hmm. to grade one next year at this same place. He is never seeing the school or these friends ever again. And he is now again going to a new school. And he wasn't in this preschool from the get-go because his preschool didn't have grade R. So he had to move from the preschool to grade R. And then the idea was grade R. I know there's no guarantee that you would transition because the GDE is separate from ECD um, uh, institutions. But... That we were positive yeah. because we were zoned for the school, wow. everything. It, there was no reason for us to believe that we wouldn't get into one of the schools close by. And in doing so, if some of the mates don't mm-hmm. go to this school, he'll there. see them at the, uh, the neighboring school because oh. we're all zoned for the same kind of schools. No, that didn't happen. We got Long placed standards. somewhere else. Yeah. And so we really had to pivot. But with that in mind... We've fallen in love with the school, and so we've had such positive interactions. And as a family, we're feeling very excited and positive about this new chapter in our lives. And I'm excited for watching this little boy of mine grow into a wonderful South African child with a diverse mind Mm -hmm. and and an inclusive mindset is what I'm looking forward to. Amazing. Oh, man. You know what? It breaks my heart actually seeing these because we've known our kids since they were. I was thinking about it the other day. In your studio where we met, Charlene used to give baby massage classes and I was one of her pupils. (laughs) But it was so much more than that. Not as the baby. (laughs) Yes, yes. Josh Josh was... um, it was a couple of months old. I started. No, well, when I when met you, came, he, he was, was older, about yes. eighteen months, yes. and Elijah, mm. my eldest, was four months when I arrived wow. there. Yeah. And to think of, I've thought about this looking at the boys together the other day. At one point, I just remember feeding Josh yogurt, and um, Charlene was looking around. She's like, "Oh, are you feeding my child?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't mind," because my baby was sleeping, and I just—that's <laughs> my first memory of Josh. Yes. And to think of the two of them in a room together at 
such a young age. Yeah. And, and they and love each other so much still. They really just vibe. You know, they have like similar energies. Mm, that's amazing. So, you know how some kids get together and they yes. hype each other up and it's just manic? <laughs> they calm each other down. don't do oh, that. Wow, they that's just incredible. They like, so zen together. It's pretty cool. That's incredible. <laughs> and I was just watching them the other day interact and thinking about that moment of Elijah next to me asleep as a four-month-old or <laughs> at, by that stage a six-month-old, I suppose, and... Uh, me feeding Josh the yogurt and thinking nobody ever at that stage we were talking about the color of your poo and sleep cycles etc <laughs> nobody nobody prepares you for this transition which yeah. November and December I was an absolute mess of a woman because mm-hmm. of the transition of Elijah my eldest just becoming this this big boy and, and it's just to see them these tiny little humans drowning in these school uniforms oh and gosh. just oh, no. and you know what the That's worst part much. is is <laughs> there's just no room for those emotions because you're on this treadmill exactly. and you're just racing against time we got to get the uniforms bought we got to label the stuff we got to wrap up school concerts and report cards and you're just in the thick of the mm. snow mm. and it's just raining down mm. on you and you're like I need to cry. I, I need to feel this, but I can't because I need to keep it together. Yeah. It's right. I think one of the things that um, is always quite profound for me is that exactly what you've said, Sam, we all walk this journey. If you're a parent, you walk the journey of the school transition. And even for a child that seems to seemingly adjust well and to transition well, every parent walks the journey of a first day at school and trying to manage the anxieties, trying to buffer it for our kids, trying to support them. Yet it's something that is not um, really, not not spoken about, but there is just not a lot of sort of resources and things available to offer that support mm. so that parents feel equipped going into this kind of thing. We go in quite blind. We go in carrying a lot of our own anxiety about mm. the school transition. We're trying to hold it together for our kids. And it's something that just isn't really um, given much sort of focus and thought and discussion. Um, I think you you get so caught up in the, you know, where is the school, the zoning, the acceptance. I know in Cape Town it is quite something you are putting your kids down um, as they are born Mm. in order to get placed at schools it's just such a big thing sort of getting them in and getting the practical side of things that I think it's very easy to uh, let that sort of um, emotional and psychological preparation subside or or, or kind of be fall by the wayside in a way and uh-huh. these, you're making such big decisions as a parent. You're always making big decisions because, and those decisions seem even bigger because you know you're making them for another human being. And yeah. this is what person are they going to turn out to be mm-hmm. yeah. at the end of the day because of what I'm deciding yeah. here? It's a big way to carry, but then so but at the same time, you're like, I don't even have the headspace to give the the weight of this thought because I just got to go. Exactly. And it is a big thing. Sorry, just to jump in, Charlene. But, you know, we often underestimate, I think, the role of of the school. And I think, you know, this is where maybe parents do get kind of caught up in where the anxiety does come from because it really can change the trajectory of a child's life. The kind of teachers that you have, you know, I'm a big believer in the role of the teacher being something so fundamental and so critical. I'm one of the biggest backers of teachers because I have firsthand witnessed how a teacher can be a single Mm. thing that can make a child, a child that is going through devastation, struggling, dire home circumstances, 
and a teacher can carry that child to success. And I've also witnessed how teachers, can break a single them. teacher can break a child. Mm. And so I am a very, very big believer in the role of a teacher. And so when we think about school, it's such a big thing in determining where our kids go, who they are friends with the diversities and cultures that they are exposed to, contextual insight. There's so much, and I'm probably making the anxiety so much no, worse. No, no, not at all. But this is essentially this is why we're here because we've got a lot of things on the brew. Mm, There's a mm. lot of, you know, we've got kids going into grade R for the first mm. time. Uh, Elijah and Jesse, and all of our listeners will will be facing the same thing. And then kids, Josh going to grade one for the first time. It's a big thing, and we love to tackle this with as much grace and dignity mm. as possible. So let's get stuck in. Please remember, what we say on this podcast can only be considered the gospel on planet Sam and Pauline, respectively. Our kids and husbands can be assholes and angels at the same time. And only we're allowed to say so. And lastly, by virtue of the fact that we are amazingly insightful and incredibly divine human beings, and a fucking delight, to be honest, we reserve the right to change our minds and or contradict ourselves whenever we so choose. And we don't want to hear a damn thing about it. Hashtag no judgies. Like I mentioned, we are going to focus for the first little bits and we'll get into because I think we need to serve our listeners whose children are facing other changes. Mm. But let's focus on the grade R, grade one transition where it's big things. Mm. New schools, new teachers, new friends, new environments, new workloads, new everything. But I'm always cognizant of where we are as parents first and foremost. Mm. So, Jenny, you've been through this, and this is what you do. This mm. is your vibe. <laughs> this, is your, this is your jam. What can, what can parents expect? How is this going to be different? Mm. So, I think there's so many different things to consider and to factor in. And I think, you know, what you've touched on is, is probably one of the most important things, is that there is so much newness mm. in this experience for our kids. And what we often forget with the years that we've had in this world is that for our children, they have typically experienced very um, standard kind of same experiences. Their little world is quite small and very routine, very, very routine based, um, very familiar, same, very yes. predictable. Exactly. And probably unless you've had big changes within your family circumstances, going to school is probably the first biggest adjustment that a child actually goes through and so we often forget that because we've had so many adjustments mm -hmm. and we you know we know it's a big thing but we forget that for them this truly is one of the biggest things that they will go through at a young age and so where it becomes tricky is that just like you've said Sam there's so much involved and kids don't know what to expect and the minute we have this kind of equation or this recipe of unpredictable and um, sort of uncertain components, unsure of what things are going to look like or how they're going to work. It is a breeding ground for anxiety to develop. And so how we combat that is to be giving them as much information on those things as possible. The more predictable we can make it, the more we can prep them, the more we can give them visualization around what to expect, the less anxiety they are going to experience. But as parents, we are walking that same road. And so there's this dual process going on. There's the process of managing our child's experiences and how they go into school. But there's also the process of managing our own experiences and how to bind our own anxiety. And so one other thing that I think is important to kind of hold is this idea that, you know, a lot of parents realize that this is a big transition for their kids. 
And so what they try to do is they try to be really conscious of it and come with the best of intentions. But what they end up doing is they end up being maybe a little bit more um, sort of permissive or giving in where you usually wouldn't. You are softer on certain boundaries. You change certain rules and routines because you're trying to be a little bit more gentle. And actually what that communicates to a child is not only am I experiencing massive changes in my external world, but my safe place is also changing. Yeah. So where I could sit in the, in the safety of knowing what makes me feel safe is the predictability, the consistency, the safeness of my home. Because there, there are things, it's not about a routine, it's not about going to bed at eight. It's about there are things that are done. I know when I behave in a certain way, mom is going to react in a certain way. And if we suddenly shift that, they go, so not only am I getting a new teacher, new friends, new school, but okay. mom is suddenly changing herself. So you're like, let me be a little bit kinder, more lenient. We're overcompensating essentially. Exactly. And to them, it's like unsettling it's a unsettling. little bit because why is this changing? And after six years, you've been this parent for six years and now suddenly you, sure, we can have ice cream for breakfast on day one. Which, okay. you know, they might say, great and be gung-ho. But that is, but that's never happened. So even being at home might not feel as safe. And that's a silly example. And it's so, fun well, to have me, those traditions. Let me things. give you another example, with, and that's partly for my own benefit, but also just to filter your advice here. Um, I read this book last year by a Jesse Klein, a journalist called Jesse Klein, and she wrote a book of essays on motherhood. And she, one of the essays is about transitioning and little books. And I just thought it was the most fantastic, beautiful idea. So what she does is very, and she's a writer, and I'm I'm also a writer. So I thought, and my child knows I'm a writer. So I thought, okay, this is a nice, this is a nice thing to do for Elijah and for Noah, my youngest, who's also going to be going through a transition, which we'll get to. And um, she does. She was advised by an educator, I think one of the school principals, like when they moved house, she realized this was going to be a big deal for her child who didn't like a lot of change. Like he She recognized that he struggled with transitions. And so she asked the educator for advice, and this is what the educator said. Create a little book. And she tended, like me, to make it very complicated. <laughs> and the the educator had to whittle it completely down. And you make you literally cut and paste like a bunch of A4 papers, and you put it together, and you make like a five-page, our new home, you know, or our new school. And then say, this is this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be familiar. And this is what might be different. And this is what we don't yet know. Mm. So answer those very basic, simple questions in a short uh, picture book format for your child. And a few days before the transition happens, approach your child as if you would story time and do this. Mm. So I've been doing it with Elijah. And now I'm wondering, like, is this new? No, that's amazing. It, so, okay. so I think don't get caught in the idea that we can't introduce new things, okay. new traditions. It doesn't all have to be the same. Like mom can't be no. the cold-hearted bitch that she's always been. <laughs> she can still, she can do the little She can book. try and prove herself okay. at times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's just really around where you can recognize that you um, are giving in and being, you know, allowing things you maybe wouldn't allow. So kind of letting um, difficult behaviors that you don't intervene on letting that kind of slide. Thing. So just, yeah. It's almost more around the structure of okay. the home. So kind of holding that, 
we want to be doing as many positive connections okay. and, you know, establishing that relationship, building that up as much as we possibly can. And I love that suggestion. I often recommend it to parents. Um, part of my school kind of readiness advice is to get a photo of the teacher that your child will the class that your child will be in for the following year because we talk about this we might say something like you going to miss martin's class next year they've got absolutely no idea of what this kind of means or what this looks like and if we can develop some sort of familiarity it eases the anxiety remember again that kind of recipe that that buffer these things like familiarity predictability consistency all those things control knowing preparation that buffers against the the distress and the anxiety of starting school. So having a book um, where you have a picture of the teacher, her name, kind of going through that. Um, another one to do is to drive by the school or to have a photo of the school that you put there. We're just creating a visual representation mm. of what going to school is like. And this is something I say so often. Children respond far better to visual communication and visual representation than they do to auditory and so we know that it's going to land so much more meaningfully and significantly if we can present it in a way that is visual and accessible so something like a book is absolutely Mm -hmm. on the money it makes it accessible it allows them to tell a story and to build a narrative around it which is exactly what you want i felt like even picking up elijah's school uniform um last year we had a map. I needed to find it because it was in the, the bigger, it was at the high school, the, the school shop. And I needed to have a map. And so I was just like, okay, let me make this fun for him. And he wanted to take the map to his preschool for show and tell to show them. And at that stage as well, he also asked, he's like, I don't think I need to go to grade R. And I was like, why Why do you say that? I think I must stay at my old school because I know where the toilets are. Exactly. Mm. You know, I'm so glad that you've raised that because this is one where, you know, I often talk about parents making assumptions about the obvious things. And it's so obvious for us, but for kids, it's such a big deal. And it's something as simple as not knowing where the toilets are. Mm. And we know, of course, they'll figure that out. And of course, the school will be so helpful in trying and to we'll show them establish and, yes. that and show them. And But for a child, they sit there thinking, I'm going to a new place. And something mm. as simple as not knowing where the toilet is, is such a big deal. And so I also encourage parents to get a map of the school if they're able to. And even if they that's when your child has already started, but where you can actually draw out certain things. And this is really helpful for kids that do struggle with school anxiety. Mm. Um, I had a child that I saw last year that um, was worried about getting lost within the school. Mm. And so actually drawing a map and her familiarizing herself with the school setup was really, really helpful. So again, as much as we can do that's visual, that can allow kids to get a sense of what to expect is really helpful. And, you know, again, it's not, I feel like nothing that I ever say is that profound. It's really <laughs> obvious things yeah. that we all know. because We overlook adults, it, though, because it's so simple. Exactly. Mm. You know, when if we think about something, you know, even me joining you today, I have Googled where it is, how long it might take me, you know, what to expect. And as adults, we, we have this advantage and we do this if you start a new job you might search the people that might be there you create the familiarity for yourself but and it's because don't. we've had to do that our whole lives but f- when they're little most of those things we've done for them essentially like okay guys in the car we've got to go they don't know where they're going they're exactly. just like i'm going with mom cool exactly. so she knows where we're going yeah you know? and we've got to create that because they don't have the <clears> ability <throat> to develop um, that's sort of preparation. And so we have to do that for them. That's mm. the big thing we want to take away is we want to be doing that prep work on their behalf. 
So even Noah, now that you mention that, my two-year-old, often, before he even turned two, we'd lump him in the car and go to places and he'd pipe up from the back, Dad, Mom, (laughs) where are we going? Exactly. (laughs) And you realize in that moment, like, we've been so busy getting him ready to get into the car that nobody's told him what we're actually doing. Where we're going, yes. And I often say to parents, imagine, just think about if I walked to you, kind of grabbed you, scooped you up, plonked you in the yes. car and started driving, what that would be like for you. We, we forget how similarly we can actually resonate with their experiences mm. and how confusing that must be. Imagine if someone just put you in the car mm. and we just started driving. Are we driving for 10 minutes? Are we driving for an hour? Yes. Are we going somewhere fun? Are we going somewhere boring? You know, we, we forget this and we don't want to get caught up in having to kind of explain things over and over again. But if you do have a child that struggles with transitions and change and kind of separation or adjusting in, at a new place, if you get to a new place and they're a little bit reserved or cautious, the more we prep this kind of stuff, the more we can prevent the fallout behavior or the struggle. So I have a question about that just also for my own benefit. Um my husband recently mentioned to me that he's of the opinion that my daughter is responds better when she is kind of something gets sprung on her or, or not to get sprung on her, but if there's less anticipation of the thing. I, I sense that she has a bit of social anxiety um, and I think that if the because my son needs to know he's he, I can relate to him so much because he'll go and he'll do whatever he has to do with he'll be there with bells on but he needs to have the map where are we going who are we going to see why are we going are we going to stop on the way will there be food well if I have a plan I can do almost anything. I just need to be informed. And he's the same. Mm-hmm. He can brace himself. And I can see he's been a really brave boy. When we first introduced the idea of the new school, when we did those things, we did a drive-by of the school. We introduced him to the school mascot. We took him to a sports event there. So we tried to involve him as much in the process. And that's why he's genuinely excited now for the new chapter. My daughter, however, the more you tell her about things, like, for example, we're going to so-and-so's birthday party. Oh, that sounds like fun. And then during the week, I'll be like, okay, remember Saturday so-and-so's birthday party? Who will be there? Mm. And then I'll be like, oh, so it's going to be so-and-so, and and this is the theme, and that's what we're going to do. And remember, it's going to be at that place. And then she's like, what if this one is there? Mm. What if there's people I don't know? Will you hold me close? Mommy, please don't leave me. I don't think I want to go. Will there be a toilet? Mm. And then I can see the anxiety starting to build. Mm. And so my husband suggested that maybe we just give her basic information, not over-communicate like we would with my son because she clearly doesn't. The more there is to know about it, the more she she overthinks Mm. it because she's got time to then ponder this. Mm. And then she makes up in her mind, Oh my gosh, this is scary, you know. So there's two things that I would say in response. I think the first is this is what makes parenting so tricky. Because no two kids are the same. Exactly. There isn't this one-size-fits-all approach. There isn't this strategy that we can apply and have these kids that are just super successful, resilient, confident, all of that. So the biggest thing about parenting is that we need to be able to – 
foster and change our approach to meet the needs of our child. And that can be different for two children within the same family. I, I have twins and I have a different approach for them. I was going to so ask you exactly, about that. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we really need to be conscious that we can't take this kind of standard size and apply it across the board. So you're very right to say one child might need a different approach to another one. But what I would say as well in response to that is that might be the case. And I think you're spot on to say there's some social apprehension or anxiety there. But if you continue to just spring it on her, she never learns to manage the yes, social anxiety. That's how I view it, genuinely. Because my husband, the other day, I found myself and he was like, remember what we discussed about the communicating of details? Was it in front of the kids? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. So I, I had said the thing and I was over explaining and then we moved on to something else. And then yeah. when they were gone, he reminded me, he was like, remember that thing mm. we discussed about? <laughs> I was like, ooh, forgot about shibbit. that. I was doing it again. <laughs> but she was okay in the end. And so so I have to also just trust my mom instinct. Oh, for sure. I can chat about that for hours as well. But I think, <laughs> you know, we need to hold the idea that we are building kids to manage struggles. As parents, we want to remove the hurdles out of their paths. That's, you know, mm -hmm. no parent wants their child to struggle. But life is full of struggle. And I don't know a person who hasn't struggled in some way. And so rather we want to build them and equip them with so much capacity to be able to manage the hurdles that lie ahead. And so this is one of them. The more we kind of shelter her, the less capacity she has to manage those anxieties. But again, it's relative. So I like the idea of, you know, you were chatting about sort of going, you know, overly explaining and you also a little bit earlier were chatting about it and I think what we should understand with children where children and adults are so different is as adults we are um, intellectual first and foremost so we we use our thinking space as a way to process and we use our narrative or language space to process kids are not like that kids use behavior so they use they are much more emotional and they use behavior to kind of um, process what's going on in their world and what we do as adults is we tend to give so much information because that's helpful often for us as adults. Okay. And so for kids, we actually want to be as simple and as concrete in our information. So we can tell them the story. We, we need to tell them the story, but we don't need to give them the seven paragraphs okay. and details. Until they ask, maybe. And follow until up they ask, questions. exactly. And so when you see kids, I, you know, it's so important to often take their lead. You give them, you start with the thing that you're discussing and then see, they'll often say, well, who else might be there? Or, mm. um, you know, what might that look like? Mm. And then you give them the next layer and then you give mm. them the next layer. But you're giving them these bite-side versions of what they can actually tolerate rather than this overload Share of information, information. Okay. which then they can't retain mm. and so linking to that is one you know one of the things that I think is super helpful with kids is to always say after you've given them something important to say give that story back to me so you can actually say like call dad come come tell dad about what we're doing on the weekend or oh, have you let's phone gran nice phone gran and tell her about your new school because you'll be so surprised at, at how, how many pieces translate. are missing yes exactly the story that you deliver versus the message that is received that they got. is often vastly different for kids. And the only way we know that is if we ask them to recount it or we mm. ask them to give it to us. And so it's a, an amazing thing. I ask them all the time, tell me what's happening. Tell me about your new school. Phone Gran. Tell Gran about where we're going on the weekend. And you will see such interesting information, either that is omitted, that you need to fill the 
the gaps of that or they've additional added. things that they've added in mm. where they feel, you know, they maybe are accountable or feel guilty for something that is not warranted. And so it's an amazing way to really gauge where they are at and the kind of version that they've created. That that's such good advice. That's good advice. <laughs> I'm like having a whole yes. moment here because I was going to ask you how I honestly feel like sometimes I don't know if my kids are okay. I don't know. And that I feel embarrassed to say that because you should be really in tune with your kids and you should really know them. And I do know them well, but my children are growing older now and Josh was getting much better at concealing mm. how yes. he feels. Also because he doesn't, they don't want to upset. So they don't want to upset mom and they mm. don't want to rock the boat. That's and also like they, they take on that responsibility as the eldest boy. Yeah. And I'm working very hard with him now to let him understand that my emotional well-being is not his responsibility. Yes, I'm very yes. cognizant of that and I'm working hard on that with him. Mm. But he's a sensitive child and so he picks up on everyone's emotions mm. and he'll often say to me, Mommy, I don't want to tell you because it's going to make you sad and then I have to be like you know what it might make me sad mm. but how about you try me on it you tell me and then we take it from there I promise yeah. you you will not hurt me mm. too much it's nothing mommy can't handle I need exactly. you to trust me with the information so I want to talk about resilience building but let's first jump to that mm. for the kids we're going to go back to the kids who are not okay and visibly not okay mm. and behaviorally they're showing us and telling us mm. They're not okay in this new transition. What about the resilient ones? Um, well, the ones that are nominally resilient. That, that put on a brave face quite brave well. Face. Mm. How do we know really? Do we just ask okay? or like? So again, I think you can ask 100%. But again, to hold on to the fact that children are not naturally verbal it's very rare that children come to you and say, I'm struggling or I'm okay, or they can actually articulate that. That's not a common thing for kids. They will show you in their behavior. They tell the story. I always say the language of children is behavior or is play. That is where you will see where they are at and how they are doing. You will see and understand um, whether they are struggling or not. It comes through in behavior. It comes through in sibling dynamics it comes through in resistance for bedtime and falling apart at home school refusal there's so many different areas that you might see it but the biggest thing for me of when a child that has been okay and isn't okay is that there's a shift in their behavior so this is the big thing is that you are the expert of your child mm. I, I always say to parents that sit in my office you've come to me but I can tell you there is no other person that knows your child as well as you you are the expert of your child and maybe I can guide you but you are the one that knows your child and so you will know if there's been a shift in your child's behavior you might have a child that struggles with bedtime separation always that's not an indication that they're not okay but if they're suddenly starting to struggle that is an indication that maybe something has changed so for me there's two big things there's a change or shift in behavior and for older kids if older kids are really struggling we often see a change in their academic functioning so they might be getting certain grades that suddenly drop that's one of the biggest indicators that something is going on for kids um, you're actually even able to page through their books and you might see a difference a decline in the quality of work um, in, in what they give. So so kids tell you, we've just got to put on the correct lens to actually see mm. what it is they are trying to share with us. And I think, you know, again, one of the traps we fall into or one of the mistakes we make is we 
we want to make it such a good experience. Again, we want to protect them from the struggle. We want to buffer that, that we are often dismissive of their experience and of their struggle. And that's where they think they can't bring it to us. So we will often say, no, you've got nothing to worry about with school. It's going to be amazing. You're going to make so many friends. It's going to be wonderful. It's the best school in the country. You know, we build them up and we need leave no room for them to be able to say, this is scary. Be that as hard. it may, I'm still scared. Exactly. Yes. And when we can actually verbalize that and validate that, you are going to do such wonderful things for your kids. So don't fall into the trap of trying to convince them how wonderful school is going to be. Mm. We can do that. It's not to say you can't say, oh, this is an incredible school. This is going to be so great. But we can also leave room to say, I'm sure you must be feeling really nervous about mm. going to school. Or I'm sure you must be feeling really scared. And we often think that if we give word to that, that we might um, actually create it. A lot of parents say, but if I say that, they're going to then become more Don't nervous. plant the seed. Don't yeah. plant the seed. That seed is so often there for a child. And there are two very distinct paths you can walk with a child. Both of them have the seed there. But the one path, there is no containment, no adult to help make sense of that experience. The other path is that seed is there, but there's an adult saying it's totally normal Holding to be it feeling safe. scared. Yes. It's totally okay to be a little bit nervous. That's how most kids are going to go in feeling. And I'm here. I've got you. I'm supporting mm. you. I'm holding your hand. Those two experiences are vastly different. One is completely uncontained because mm. there's no sort of um, protective space for the mm. child to process those emotions. Don't think because they're not verbalizing it, it's not there. And then I think that definitely speaks to that um, theory of leading into your thought of resilience, that you are actually teaching resilience by containing them you're not you're not mollycoddling in the sense that oh no i'll deflect i'll deal with this i'll deal with this okay. you're helping them have the experiences as opposed to well off you go yeah. we all got to struggle a little bit in our lives so best you learn how to exactly I, yeah go ahead, i don't Sam. know how right or wrong this is but i get a really good response from elijah so i run with it i always say to him be scared and do it anyway yeah because that's that's what i do yeah. people are like oh like when we started the podcast, you know, <laughs> yeah. start before you're ready. Charlene, after our first recording, looked at me and said, what now? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do now, but it's, or how it, it works. Just, and look here. Look yes. now. It was scary to put ourselves out there. And I, I don't discount that. And I'll never forget starting gymnastics with him last year. I thought it'll be good for him to start an extramural outside of where his school was, away from his school friends, and to just branch out a little bit and that's exactly what we did and on the way he's like i don't want to do this this isn't fun so i was like love are you scared mm. and he's like yeah but also i don't feel like it that's it's going to be boring so i said you mm. know what what i do i'm scared and i do it anyways mm. yeah so it's like okay you don't actually have a choice we're gonna do you want to mm. you want to learn how to do backflips that was the cell yeah. you want to learn how to do backflip this backflips is this is when yeah. you get started. But yeah. you're not saying, well, I'm sorry for you. You have to do yeah. it. So suck it up, yeah. cupcake. And what I love about that example is what you did there is you totally met that underlying need rather than responding to the content. And so we very often get caught in that kind of superficial layer yes. or the content where actually underneath is so much more. And so it would have been very easy to say, I've, you know, 
paid for this. Well, it's the money and exactly. And we put, you were the one that wanted to do this. Yeah. You, you know, it's very easy to, and even if that's not in a punitive way, but to say, but you're the one that wants to do gymnastics. You yeah. know, it's very easy I to get this caught because you that. asked me to. Exactly. I'm not doing this for my health. Exactly. Yes. You think, I want to wake up on yeah. a Saturday morning. <laughs> this ain't fun for me either. Yes. But you are able to meet that need and pick up exactly that what it was that he was feeling was actually being scared. He was scared. And if we can meet that emotional need, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I try to give to parents is just recognize the emotional processing side of it and validate that. Mm. So often that's enough. You actually don't even need to do more or do Mm. any other steps. If you just can say like, wow, I can, I get that. You must be really angry. That's okay. I would also feel angry. And not to provide a solution. Exactly. Yeah, because you're not – then, yeah, because also it's great for our kids to see that we're just real people and we don't always have all the answers. Exactly. So on resilience building, I'm very cognizant of the level of changes and the additional things that our little ones have to deal with. You know, in addition to the newness of it all – um, a lot of grade ones will start doing homework. Mm. Mm. And I'm, I am I like to ease into a transition, but I don't know what I'm doing to myself as a mom here thinking this. So Elijah has to go to aftercare. Mm. Uh, we don't do half days with him. I can't get any work done. So he is an, an aftercare child. Um, and Noah will be, t- well, Noah is at his preschool. So they have a very full day at school. Mm. But the aftercare facility at his new school is totally different separate from the from the school so Mm. my thought process was initially let me cushion that start him out for two weeks even a month just at school pick him up half day Mm. and then introduce so introduce things incrementally i'm not sure what's and and look i'm i'm also cognizant of the fact that not all parents have this luxury yeah Mm. which i think is very important Mm. we never discount that on this show some parents just can't, and mm. it's sink or swim for everybody involved, yeah, the parents for sure. and for the kids. Would I like to have my kids start off half day and then maybe introduce the idea of aftercare? I would love that, but I the can't. truth is I work a corporate job and I have yeah. no flexibility, and mm. I feel so shit about that, mm. but I have to do this, this to my kids. It is what it is. Yes. Yeah. So we've got a full day of school. We've got aftercare for some kids. We've got new extramurals. We've got... Suddenly kids aren't napping or having that rest period. Mm. Um, what do you think? Do you think the incremental way of introducing new changes is better or do you do it all at once and sink or swim? I don't think you're going to be very happy with my answer because I can't give you one. <laughs> so, okay. you know, I think, again, it's about knowing your child and thinking, mm. you know, I often say to parents, you tell me, tell me about your child. Tell me about Elijah. How does he respond? Does he do better to have something from the get-go? Or can he tolerate that change midway? What is his temperament like? What is his character like? You've got to know your child. Is it better to prep from the start around the change? Or is it better to do this kind of eased-in approach? Um, And when we can think about what works for our kids, what works for their personality, factoring those kinds of things in, you know, maybe if he's a child that is, you know, deeply emotional or a deeply feeling kid, he might need a while to have a space to offload as he's transitioned into school. So remember that for many of these kids, going to school is um, such a big and new experience. They are expected to do a lot more. They Mm. are expected to be a lot more compliant, contained, sort of well-behaved, you know, these more typical 
much more exposed to like stringent structure structure and discipline and and so many kids are able to hold that together at school but they need somewhere to offload immediately after school Mm. and so if he's a kid that maybe needs that offload space then I would absolutely wait for that transition and let him offload until he's adjusted to school because otherwise he's got to hold it together for aftercare as well but he might be a child that that change might throw him to go from being suddenly at home for a month after school and then you say, actually, buddy, we're going back to, you know, you're at school all day. So it's really about trying to navigate and figure out what fits their each little unique personalities mm. best. Mm. I love that as well because I, as a parent, and I'm sure I'm not alone here, would be inclined to put my own anxieties onto my child. So it's it's helpful to think, how would Elijah deal, cope mm. with this rather than my go-to is how is Sam coping with it? Not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But perhaps even my child will cope mm. with going to aftercare from the get-go better than what I will. Yeah. Yes. And I would say, you know, what what's driving that decision? So, so what is your motivation behind that exactly? Kind of tapping into is it your anxiety or is it his? If mm. he is used to a full day at school, if that's a very typical thing for him, um, and he's done that for years, why do you feel the need to change it? And so you've got to kind of question that. And yeah. so sometimes we create something and make it bigger than maybe what it needs to be. So, yes, it's a jump. I don't dispute that at all. But maybe it's also very similar. And so one of the things you mentioned right at the start, and again, it's one of the things that I love to do and I often encourage parents to do is have this conversation about what changes and what stays the same. And so whenever we are approaching a new a, a new thing, whether it's school, whether it's the festive season or holidays that have just been, wherever you approach something new, you want to say, this is what's going to change and this is what's going to stay the same. So what will stay the same is mom's going to still drop you at school every single day. Mom is still going to fetch you every single day just before dinner or whatever time you usually fetch. Mm. This is what's different. You've got a new teacher. You're going to have some new friends. Might, you might be a bit of a, a further walk from exactly. after school to aftercare than what you're used to. But exactly. And so whatever that then looks like, as long as you've prepped and you've created that visual picture for them on what it looks like, where it's different. Because for kids, such small minor details can throw them if they aren't prepped for them. Mm. Something simple like, I was always the one that dropped my child at school and now suddenly, um, you know, maybe dad has to drop them. Or where before only one child went to school, now you're taking baby brother along. You know, something like that can throw them if they aren't prepared and equipped for that kind of thing. Okay. So I think a biggie, for anybody tuning in when they read about back to school anxiety is that moment and that this is from crash level the moment of separation mm. Mm. the okay we made it to here now yes. we're like we've prepared we've done yeah, all of we've the done things. all of the things now we have to walk away from yeah. leaving Leave said them child at the yeah. school and teachers over the years have given me lots of different advice mm. my elijah has been Amazing from the he's been at crash since five months and has not cried a single day that I've left him at mm. school. He's always been happy to part. Sometimes gives me longer hugs mm. or whatever, but he's he's never not wanted to go to school. Noah, um, COVID baby, mm. only started school a lot later and still cries. And in the Shit. last last year, in the last month of school was like I'm done with school I'm so done I don't want to go he didn't want to go to school so I noticed the difference in my children but the advice that I've gotten over the years is 
um, comfort them, hug them, assure them, mm-hmm. and then ease your way out. Like a speedy retreat. <laughs> Back up. Distract, <laughs> distract them with toys or an activity and sneak away. Oh, gosh. And I even, don't, and don't even if that. they're clinging to you thing. and you have to like tear them off of you, yeah. just be like, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'll see you yeah. just now and go. <laughs> or do a speedy getaway. Mm. Kiss. Okay. I love run. you. See you later. And go. Be and loud out of I've bed. seen such hilarious examples <laughs> from other parents and not to like <laughs> laugh at other, but I'm like, we've got to laugh together. I've seen parents hiding behind bushes. <laughs> sobbing. I was that parent. <laughs> I'm like, Charlene. <laughs> sobbing, <laughs> like crying, watching them. Like watching them, seeing if they're okay. So like ducking, making sure that the kids don't see them, but they've got to make sure that their kid has stopped crying, yeah. you know, or like frantically messaging the teacher to be like, send me an SMS. Yeah. Or send me a WhatsApp of my kid and a picture of him not crying so that I know you're not lying you're to fine. me. You know? I was hiding behind a bush one morning <laughs> last year when Jessie started grade double naught and she was crying and she was going a tantrum and I just, I said, I love you. Here's your kissing hand. I'm yeah. going. And I turned and I made a speedy retreat and I hid behind the bush and I should never have done that because as <laughs> I looked, she, she lobbed the teacher with her water bottle in the face oh, and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> then you yeah. did the running back to the car. <laughs> I I made the biggest mistake and I went back and I was like, no, oh, Jess, gosh. we don't hit. And I grabbed her and I hugged her and I loved her. I couldn't oh, help sure. myself. Yeah. And I loved her and I said to her, I love you. I love you. Please don't hit. Please sure. don't hit. Oh, I, I don't know sure. what to do. So, what, okay. okay. So, so, it's, so many things. I'm going to kind of run you through a couple of steps. I think we've spoken a lot about the prep, but really that prep phase is probably the most important. If we think about it, it forms like the bulk, the big chunk to begin with. The more we prep, the more we are setting our kids up for success. So prep is around creating this visual picture, talking about the teacher, thinking about the school, explaining what a day is going to look like. It also includes role-playing, school drop-off. So whatever your kid is into, if they are into Paw Patrol, whatever they're into, role-play, drop-off. Say, this is what's going to happen. We get in the car. There goes Rocky and Rocky's mom and they're zooting off to school. You're role-playing, creating this thing the whole time. Because what we want to do is just like we read the same book to our kids. I'm sure you all know a book backwards, The Hungry Caterpillar, The Gruffalo, whatever it might be. And these kids are able to recite the story word for word. We want to create a narrative that goes with the school drop-off scenario. We're creating a script that the minute they enter each stage, the minute they're turning a page, it's so recognizable. Speak, they're like, okay, they now we're in this next. step. Okay. And that book ends or that narrative ends with mom comes back, mom fetches me, I go home, uh-huh. I'm okay. And so we are building this narrative, we're building the story. And so the more we role play, the more we do, we are just building this, um, yeah, this picture that's setting them up for success. So your prep phase is really important. Then around the actual drop off, I'm a big believer in prepping them for what it's going to look like. So saying this is what's going to happen at drop off. We don't want to suddenly get there, do your big hug and kiss and run and they're not expecting it. Mm. So have you prepped them to say this is what it will look like at drop off. Mom doesn't come into the classroom. Mom's going to give you a special handshake or whatever it might be. 
and to have that set because what often happens is kids try to push the boundaries and they say one more hug, one more kiss, and you end up doing 500 hugs and kisses mm. at drop-off. And so you want to have a set and established routine and you practice that at home. So you let your kid take control of this. So it can be like a fist pump and a high five and a hug. And that's what your little special goodbye is. And you do it at home. Every time you leave, you go to the shops, you do your fist pump, high five, hug. And when you get to school, that's what you do, your same little routine. And then you leave. Because if we hesitate, what happens is our children notice our hesitation. Even if they are the ones enticing or kind of pulling for it. They notice our hesitation and then they say, even mom's reluctant to mm. let me go. Even mom's a little bit cautious here. So is there something for <laughs> me to fear? Is. Yeah, yes. and mom and is, mom, mom is. is. Sure. I think the difference is we know, I mean, you're sending your kid to a school where you know and trust that They're they are safe be okay, yes. and they are cared for mm. and loved. For a child, they often feel unsure and scared there's a sort of primitive fear there so yes we feel heavy but it's not it's the not the same that they fear. Are yeah, yeah. yeah and so when we hesitate we actually confirm to them that they're that not there's safe. something that they should be hesitant about yeah. so that's a big one is being quite sort of um yeah not efficient in your goodbye but something that you've prepped and that you've gone over many many times before <clears throat> Excuse me. And then what we want to do is a bridging activity because very often kids struggle in that exact moment of separation. So it's all good and well. And then as we leave, there's there's a fall apart. So we want to create activities or ways of connecting that are about still existing in relationship even when we are not together. So, for example, you can do little hearts on your hand and their hands. And every time they miss you, they can press that little heart and charge that heart and they feel it so that they can connect with you even when you are not together. You can do the invisible string technique and book, which is amazing. Mm, I was going to gonna say that. So can you can you elaborate on the invisible string? Because there's also there's a kissing hand for Chester Raccoon is a nice book. There's so yes. there's so much literature around this, like kid, children's books. And the invisible string is one of them. So what can you elaborate on the invisible string? The invisible string is amazing. It basically says we don't need to be together for our relationship to exist. And there is a string that connects us to people we love. And if we love our dogs, if we love people that have died, we are still connected with this invisible string. And we just have to tug on the string and they're in, within us and we're within them. And we can connect like that. And it's a really fun, playful thing to do with kids, this idea of the invisible string. We can also do things like, for older kids, almost game-like activities, like setting a treasure hunt. So you can say, okay, so at school today, I want you to try and find two purple things. That's the challenge I'm leaving you with today. And when you fetch them, the first thing you do is you say, what two purple things did you find at school? And it becomes this really fun game that you do. And tomorrow you say, okay, I want you to find something, you know, three things that are triangle-shaped. What are they? And so they go off excited to try and find these shapes and things. And so you can just adapt this as you go along. But we are wanting to try and make an activity, a bridging activity, for the time that we're apart that we then have upon connection again. Mm. And then the final thing that's really important is we often say to kids, we'll be back, we'll fetch them. And these are very abstract things for kids to understand because it's also linked to time, which is such an abstract phenomenon for yeah, kids. They, they have, have no, no concept. idea. It's no hard concept. for them to understand. No concept. And so we want to make sure that the first thing that we do upon reunification or being reunited 
is the connection of the relationship because that's what they're looking for. But again, if we keep that too abstract, they can't access that to hold on to and ground themselves to get to that point. So we want to give them something simple again and concrete about the reconnection point. So that might look like something like, as soon as I fetch you from school, we are going to have a picnic in the garden when we get home. We're going to have lunch in the garden today. Or as soon as I fetch you from school, we are going to read books. Or we are going to play Uno. Or we are going to play I Spy in the car. But you can create anything. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to take time. It doesn't have to be elaborate. But it's a tangible thing that they can visualize and look forward to. So it's not just I will see mom again. It's when I see mom, this is we happen. are going to do X. Mm. And that makes it feel more real for a child and binds their anxiety. Okay. Oh, such... Great advice. Okay. I've got one more question. Yes. And that also relates because I am aware that some of our, not all of our listeners will have grade R learners and grade one learners going to big changes. Mm. I've got, in fact, on a personal level, I'm more worried about my two-year-old Noah not being in his current class or or in, in the class that he was in last year and moving Having to go to a different classroom mm. with a different teacher. Same yeah. friends, same school, same mm. scenario. He, he'll like deck it back to his <laughs> old teacher. He And where Elijah will take it on the chin and yes. I know that he is going to be okay. Mm. I might not be okay with Elijah's transition. Yeah. But Noah, I just thought, oh, Lord, we're <laughs> in for a major yeah, yeah. thing here with this kid. He's a feisty sure. one. So... How do we manage those those smaller changes mm. and with, I, I think, younger children? Because we can reason with the older Yeah, you kids. can have a discussion mm. with the older kids. You can even, even my Jace now, you know, you can explain concepts to her yeah. and and you can give them the tangible things. But when they're like two. Yeah, two, three years old, mm. they're little now. So how do we manage yeah. those transitions with them? So I think we pull on the same sort of philosophies and you you generally are applying the same techniques and things. The biggest thing, again, is around preparation. So we want to prepare them. That's going to look very different for a young kid, though. Mm. And so probably the biggest pitfall of that sort of scenario with Noah is that he walks into school thinking that he is going back to his normal school environment that he is used to. And so we have got to speak his language don't fall into the trap again of speaking your language to get him to understand the changes that are to come. We've got to meet him at his level. And so those changes that need to be spoken about um, need to happen in a way that's accessible for him. And so that is through play first and foremost. And so you want to set up however it is that you do it through Lego and through dolls and through toys. Maybe the old teacher's yes, class. Yes, teacher so-and-so's exactly. class. And, and then now we're going to this class and we walk in and maybe we're going to give the old teacher a high five and she's going to have other children in her class that have now come up. And, and here's and you your do new this scenario and your new over and over and, again. Okay. Exactly. And, and this is where you're going to be. And let's have a look at a photo again of your new teacher and mm. of your new class. And then again, you know, in all these moments, what we are trying to do is we desensitize children through repeated and recurrent exposure to the thing that's coming. Mm -hmm. And so the more we talk about it, the more we give it to them, the less of a big deal it is. And so even if that narrative is between you and Elijah about Noah, it is so helpful for kids because they're constantly picking it up, mm -hmm. or you and your husband. So to be able to say, 
Noah, tell dad about, mm. you know, what's going to happen when you get to school. Or if Noah's not able to do that, you actually say, Elijah, do you know that when Noah goes to school, he's actually going to Mrs. So-and-so's class and he's not I going to be. when you were there. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And so you're using all these moments of, again, building that narrative. So it's such a nice idea to hold on to this picture of this book that we create. This is the story we tell. Mm. And you get to choose what is on those pages for our kids to prepare them. And we want to make sure that they know that story just as well as they know their nighttime reading book. And they know the story. They know what is to come. They know what to picture. They know how the story is going to end. And the more we are able to give them that and talk about that and expose them to that through play and, you know, role playing through toys, the less of a struggle that transition mm. will be. Gosh. This, oh, that's really helpful. That is. That and it's, is. It, it's like you say, it's kind of obvious. I, really, I feel like I'm not <laughs> giving you anything. No, but no. I, know. I feel like a bit of an idiot that I'm like, that is obvious. How did that not occur to you? Because we know these things exactly. about little kids and that they learn through play and that they're visually stimulated. Yeah. And we know all these things, mm. but yet it doesn't The simpler occur. things don't occur. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to leave off. With one anecdote, and I think that's that also just speaks to not underestimating your toddlers, is that um, a few months back we went to a party and saw an, an older friend of mine and my husband's, and he is um, sure a doctor in sort of animal sciences, so not a vet but works with animals, and um, he's very kind of scientific, <laughs> um, in, scientifically minded, and. Noah had an allergic reaction to a mozzie bite. And, he, and it looked like a spider bite. But it, I knew it was a mozzie bite. It was just how Noah reacts. And my, the friend came and looked at it. And, you know, Noah's just holding his hand. And you kind of think he's the two-year-old kind of not paying attention. And my friend said, well, it's not a blah, blah, blah spider because there's no purple mark in the middle. You know, he's very scientific in his ways. And... I was just like, okay, I knew that. <laughs> Thanks. It's it's a mozzie bite. And we were on our way. And then he started having like a lot more mozzie bites as summer kind of kicked in. And I was like, you know, is it itchy or is it sore? And he's like, oh, mom, it's not purple. <laughs> it's not purple. It's not a spider bite. Exactly. It's not purple. It's nothing to worry about. Please yeah. stop worrying about me. Yeah. And I was just like, how on earth did he pick mm. up on that adult conversation? Oh, man. And that they do. And oh. now he will, if there's nothing to worry about, about like his bites, marks on his body, it's, it's not, not purple, purple mom. <laughs> it's not purple. Because when it's purple is when you need to worry. <laughs> That's <laughs> when it's a, this kind of spider. And maybe it was also the reference of color. Yeah. It must have been yes. the reference to color exactly. that stuck out to yeah. him. Yeah, I think we don't give kids enough credit for how much they actually um, can take on board and process. And again, it's about how we deliver it. So mm. this example is so good. It was in a way that actually he could take it on board. And mm. um, we've got to think about how we package that message and how we are giving it to our kids in a way that actually is accessible for them. Mm. Well, Dr. Jenny Rose, <laughs> it was such a, you know, I, when was it? Back in September, I was just like, Dr. Jenny Rose, we're coming for you. <laughs> yes, we're coming for yes. you. And we did, and we're coming for you again. Please this do. Was I've loved being amazing. here. Amazing. Please come for me again. And what a privilege to have you here in Joburg. Yes, and in person. Oh, it's been amazing. I think it's just, um, yeah, we've forgotten how great it is to be back in person. So it was so lovely. Thank you for 100%. having me. Where to from here? Before we close off and do our, our signing off, 
you've got a lot of things planned for the year. So let's let's hear it. What's in the pipeline yes. for you? So many things. Um, yeah, maybe just briefly to mention that there's a lot continuously on the go. Um, for the Dr. Jenny Rose brand. There's always parenting support. I have lots of online courses that are available for parents to try and help with all these things, the the transitions, the struggles, the sibling relationships, the tantrums, um, you know, potty training, taking away the dummy, you name it, there's a course for it. So lots of courses to try to support parents. Um, I've got an exciting project uh, relating to schools and teachers in the pipeline um, and a lot, lot more that's coming your way. So keep an eye either on my website or my Instagram page um, and hopefully lots of support and lots of empowering of parents in the years to come. Well, we are going to link all of our listeners and our viewers up. But on this issue of back to school anxiety and and separation anxiety in general, how about we keep talking. 100%. 100%. Guys, you know this. We always want you to weigh in on our conversations. If you want to swear or rant or cry (laughs) or laugh or maybe just rave over our last insightful episode (laughs) that we shared with you, please hit us up over email. The email address is info at the great equalizer at gmail.com. And DM us a voice note. We look forward to those voice notes. Yeah, and we can play them on the show. So don't forget, you can yeah, you send can do us it. A, yeah. record one over your phone and hit us up on email info at thegreatequalizer.co.za, as Charlene just said. Also, feel free to like and subscribe to our show on YouTube as well as anywhere you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. So please don't forget to do that. Guys, your support is super important to us. I'm sure you would agree, Jenny, 100%. as a content creator. Um, You have no idea how much every like, love, share means to us. Yes. Please don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or even on on Facebook or wherever you get us and you listen to podcasts. Um, Find us. Leave us a loving review. Uh, except on TikTok. We're not on TikTok. I don't know if Me we're just, we're, just not, we're not cool enough. Or maybe we're just cool old enough. AF. I don't I've know. Made peace with it. Just yeah, I've, just, I've accepted my limitations. And so, therefore, um, we're not on TikTok. I think Instagram is being super trendy and on it. Yes. I, I definitely don't have the capacity to be in the TikTok oh, space. God. We've got to know our limitations. Yeah. Exactly. For now. For now. Yes. For now. But wherever you might find us, yes. hit the subscribe button because. Our goal is to impact moms and every interaction, I believe, brings one mom closer to sanity. 100%. The more we're seen, the better this podcast can do for you. And hopefully the less alone some parents will feel out there and the better we can do for you. Indeed. I think that is it for this week. Charlene, you are doing an amazing job. And so are you. Jenny. And so are you. So are you. (laughs) You're doing an amazing job. Well, thank you. Until next time. Keep Keep your your mom game strong. Shout out to our producers over at Autumn Aperture and Arc Studios, including our editor Tyler McKenna and sound engineer Stephen Creel. Please review our show notes for more on today's topic and expert guest. And for more on The Great Equalizer, our website is always a good idea, www.thegreatequalizer.co.za, along with our social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now YouTube. And of course, if you want to chat with Sam or Charlene directly, email us at info at We would love to hear from you.